are listening to Title Town Takes, your home for the latest and greatest in all things college and Boston sports. Listen to hosts Ian Boshing, Connor Powell, and Cameron Erbowitz for plenty of fun, vibes, and most importantly, hot takes. Can I offer a hot take on three-on-three overtime? Absolutely. Yeah. We love hot takes here. I hate it. I no. hate it. Really? Really? Why? I hate it. Well, Connor, I, I, think you just, I think you just found your hot take. That's yeah, great. Perfect. <laughs> on today's show, we welcome back friend of the program from Neutral Zone Scouting, Mark Bellotta to talk with the fellas about our thoughts on the recent NHL exhibition games, the MLB COVID-19 scares, will Kemba Walker be healthy enough to play in the playoffs, our NHL Eastern Conference playoff breakdown, and finally, the most anticipated bag of fun question of the quarantine. It's time for the bag of fun, bag of fun. Everybody's ready for the bag of fun question of the quarantine. Mr. Powell, what do we got? To listen, be sure to look us up on your favorite listening platform, like Spotify or Apple Music. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Twitter at TitleTown underscore Takes. All right, TitleTown Takes is back on the air, episode number 35. Hope everyone's doing well out there. Ian Boshane, joined alongside, as always, by my fabulous co-host, Connor Powell and Cam Erbowitz. We'll check in with the fellas in a minute. Uh, we got a guest joining us here today. Uh, a reoccurring guest once again, though, fellas, uh, joining us from the neutral zone, the director of Mass High School Hockey and head scout in New England. It's a great pleasure. Welcome back to the Title Town Takes podcast. First time on the podcast, though. Last time we had him on in studio uh, when we were still a student-based radio show at WMCK. Uh, Mark Bolotta. Mark, thanks for joining us, man. How's it going, fellas? Love the shirt, first of all. Appreciate it from uh, from my hometown, Portland, Maine. Uh, from the Maine Mariners, I had to I had to be rocking this for the uh, for the podcast and for the the recording. Yeah, heavy hockey uh, heavy hockey episode, but we got a couple of other things on the agenda here uh, before we get into the hockey talk. Uh, but before we go anywhere, we got to do the usual check in with the fellas and see how we're doing. Uh, we'll check in with Mister Erbowitz, who's rocking a classic throwback there uh we'll throw it over to you cam and uh, you can tell the people what you're rocking all right thank you ian uh what i'm rocking today i mean we all know the stanley cup uh, qualifiers start uh, saturday but uh i think we had to show a little bit of respect to you know the teams that unfortunately are, are left behind stuck at home during this odd very very strange august period of playoff hockey so i picked up a team of solani 1998 CCM Classic jersey on eBay for $70. Um, and I'm, that's what I'm rocking today. It was either that or another jersey that I picked up. It was a $30 steal, a medium Buffalo Sabres, Buffalo Head black jersey. That was the other choice that I was considering going with. But uh, things are going pretty all right here. Been watching a ton of hockey since it restarted, I'm sure as everyone else has, and uh, excited for Saturday. All I can How's how's the weather? That's pretty sunny out, actually. Uh, it's, it, it was really it, it was it was it was really cool last night, but the heat's rolled back in today. So yeah, it was uh, it was a warm one out out at uh, out at work today. Let's check in with the third member of our group, Mr. Powell. How we uh, how we doing, bud? Boys, how are we? It's great to be back here. It's a fabulous time to be alive currently. 
We uh, went through four and a half months of hell, but we've made it officially. You know, Cameron, like you and I, you and I have said the past couple of weeks, it's we're holding out hope until the puck dropped. But the puck has dropped. We're playing hockey. It's great to be back on the podcast talking. What you know, we were talking before the show about you know just kind of how the show was going to go, some some different talking points, and it really felt like old title town takes that really about. 85% of our show is going to be hockey today. So strap in. It's great to be back. And uh, we'll, we'll just, we'll throw this out there. If you're not a hockey fan, you can tune in after about, you know, 20 minutes or uh, tune out after about 20 minutes, you know, got a couple of things on the agenda, but the rest of the way, it's just going to be hockey because if you don't know us by now, this is pretty much a hockey podcast. That's right. And we touch on sport, other sports here and there, but you know, we don't like these other sports. We just really like hockey. Yeah, you know. But uh, before we do that, let's check in with Mark once again. You know, how uh, how's things in your land, Mark? Things are going pretty well. You know, it's it's been a very, very different situation for us, too. Obviously, you know, scouting it is primarily something you have to do in person, and that's, you know, what we obviously prefer to do. But in this case, you know, with, with COVID-19 and, and all the things that are going on, uh, what we found is that now after about four months of everybody being at home, it's, you know, things are starting to crank back up again. We have, you know, the rinks are starting to get really active, especially in New Hampshire. Um, obviously, Massachusetts has been um, very cautious in reopening and specifically related to sports. You're, they've been very cautious about indoor sports. So what's been happening is a lot of the tournaments typically scheduled for the summer are all being scheduled and rescheduled up in New Hampshire. We've already scouted um, four major tournaments over the last month or so, and we have a ton of content that we put up on the site with another one that I'm working on tonight to hopefully get up on the site this weekend. Um, So it's been really active, and those are not just tournaments of local kids like New England only. These are tournaments that people from all over the country are flying in to attend. So, you know, it's – the summer hockey is back. I will say that it's not quite the same as it once was, but – you know, it's definitely in full swing now. And I think we're getting to the point where, you know, I think every, every state in New England is going to start considering, you know, whether or not it's time for everybody to start running tournaments. Yeah. See, it's, it's, it's crazy. A crazy time as a scout, I would think. Right. Because like you said, it, it requires you to be there and for that not to happen. And even now there's, there's a risk attached to going really inside anywhere. So like, I'm assuming you guys have just kind of weighed – you've weighed those those risks and those pros and cons. And I mean, hockey's back. you got to get out there somewhere, right? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, well, the other the other thing, too, is, you know, it's, it's also different rinks are taking different precautions. For example, you know, some of the events that we've attended, it's been, you know, no holds barred. Everybody can just go in. There are no restrictions. There are no mask policies. And, you know, whatever happens, happens. So there have been those cases. And then there have been other events where – there's, you know, they've locked the front doors. You can only go in through a side entrance. They take your temperature before you walk in. Masks are required. There's no lobby. There's no milling around. Um, you know, they, they have cleaning breaks in between the games and stuff like that. So it, everybody does it a little bit differently. It's all based on, you know, who owns the rink and how they operate it. I mean, obviously, recirculated air is, is you know, makes things a bit tougher because no matter what, you got to breathe. So, you know, that, that's how this thing happens. But ultimately you know, what we've done is a nice hybrid of, you know, we've been going in person to a lot of these events, but, you know, there is some stuff, you know, where you can do, you know, video checkups. So one thing that we've been doing a lot of is, 
you know, taking a second look at stuff. So if we have somebody in the rink, you can have somebody else back at, at home base going, okay, so I'm going to take a look at this game and see if I see the same things that you saw and double check on some things to, you know, confirm, you know, whether or not what they saw is, is what they agree upon. So it's, it's been a pretty fair system so far and it's worked out really well. It's, you know, now the question becomes, this is, this is the really big one. Summer hockey is one thing. And, and by the way, lots and lots of parents argue back and forth about how necessary is summer hockey in terms of preparing um, your athlete. So is it better to, you know, shoot pucks in the backyard or is it better to play in games? And that debate goes on and on all summer long. But the real question is when it comes down to, you know, October, November, December, and the season cranks up, are we going to have hockey as normal in the Commonwealth and beyond? That is a very, very open question right now. And right. And there's, there's been no, real ruling on it yet but there's a lot of talk going on yeah it's it's certainly crazy to see how not only different businesses as you mentioned mark but different organizations um in different states just how how they choose to operate and how they choose to you know take this situation that we're currently in everybody handles it differently there are some people that you know still choose not to leave their house unless it's absolutely necessary to go out and do things. You know, obviously there are going to be people that have compromised immune systems and that are more susceptible to catching this, uh, this disease. It's, it's a scary time for a lot of people. Um, but I do think we are starting to head in a positive direction especially here in new england i think it's been handled well from the very start not only uh in massachusetts but the rest of the uh region as well and i think that shows with how businesses are starting to reopen and how they're starting to reestablish themselves um, in communities um, one business though that is really struggling over the last week is the major league baseball um, since we last talked um, the Florida Marlins are now up to 18 positive cases for coronavirus on their roster. No That's um, no good. That is not good. Um, mm -hmm. This is all stemming from a trip down to Atlanta. Um, pure speculation is that while they were in Atlanta, members of the team opted to go out and take part in recreational activities. Um, despite, you know, the strict guidelines in place from Major League Baseball saying that, you know, we, <clears throat> excuse me, um, we don't want you going out unless it's absolutely necessary. What do you guys They went to a strip club. Um, also, the Cardinals, Ian, have had multiple confirmed cases this morning. Yep. So their games are oh. postponed. Here's yep. the thing. Here's the thing. You're right, not going to do it. Yeah. It's just not going to happen. It's too contagious of a disease for, for this to work. I mean, you, you, you had the option to do the bubble in Arizona, and you said no. Yeah, that's the whole thing. It's all on the players. The players yeah. were given the option, we can do this bubble, and they said no, we don't want to do it. Every other league that's doing a bubble is successful. Yeah. The MLS, the WNBA, the NBA, the NHL, every league doing a bubble is successful. But the I mean, MLB has decided, let's be different, and they're failing miserably. I don't see this season. Classic. Classic MLB. I mean, the only – okay. I actually – okay. I do see the season completing. But that's because they'll get, they'll get scabs and people who will play for, like, minimum money. 
The owners will want to get their money regardless. The TV networks will want to get their money. They'll find people to play. Will it be Will it be major league quality? No, but they'll find people. It'd be people, like box level. Someone will be desperate enough to play. So with all this news, fellas, we on today's schedule alone or this weekend's schedule alone, there are currently three games that have been postponed on Friday. Major League Baseball came out and announced that the St. Louis Cardinals and Milwaukee Brewers game uh, was canceled. The St. Louis Cardinals put out a statement Friday morning. This is St. Louis Cardinals learned late on Thursday night that two players had tested positive for COVID-19 in testing that was conducted on Wednesday, July 29th, prior to their game against the Minnesota Twins in Minneapolis and have instructed the team's players and staff to self-isolate in their Milwaukee hotel rooms until further notice. The team did not leave their hotel room this morning for Miller Park. The team is currently conducting rapid testing of the entire traveling party and has implemented contact tracing and will continue to self-isolate. Also, these dudes aren't wearing friggin' masks in the dugout either. No. I don't know if you guys have watched very much, but you see all these guys just walking around and spitting. Like Me? Watch baseball? Not, also, since, uh, not since hockey came back. Come on now. But yeah, well, the timeline between those two things happening is very short. So Yeah, true. Um, but, yeah, none of these guys are wearing masks. None of these guys are taking precautions. They don't care, and clearly they don't care about the well-being of others. And, so that's the, and everyone will suffer because of this. That's the thing, Cameron, is in the bubble and all – like if you're bubbled, which I guess is going to have to be a term now, if you're bubbled, NHL, NBA, you can afford to not wear a mask if you're so far away from one another because you're in a bubble, you're tested every day, you know no one's coming in, no one's coming out, and these people has, have been tested negative. Yeah, you're still going to do it when you're inside, but like on the ice, in the dugout, on the bench, wherever you are, you, you, you don't necessarily have to wear a mask. But if you're not doing a bubble, you're interacting with so many different things. You're flying to other ballparks. You're, you're driving. The, you, yeah, you're driving from the airport. You're driving from the hotel. You're going into a hotel. So many different circumstances that you can screw up this whole thing. This, so it, it's all messed up. It's this all messed is all more, more proof that the Canadian government was smart and made the correct decision in telling the Toronto Blue Jays, sorry, but you're, you cannot, you're not allowed to play at Rogers Center this year. Yeah. And, and, you know, people at the time were like, oh, well, that's silly of the Canadian government. But now the Canadian government, they look like geniuses because the MLB is slowly imploding with COVID-19 cases left, left and right. And I don't think it's going to get better. I think it's going to get worse. And I think baseball season is going to be canceled here in the next week. The next week. I, I think it's just going to continue to get worse. I think the Mar you look at it now, you've gone from the Marlins to a couple of members of the Phillies organization. They tested positive for it. And now you got a couple of guys from St. Louis. Look at all the crossover that's going to happen between those two teams. The Cardinals were in Minneapolis. They were supposed to, they played the Twins the last couple of days. How long before the Twins come out and release a statement saying that a couple of members of their organization have it? I mean, the Phillies and Blue Jays series had to be canceled because of everything that happened dating back to the Marlins late earlier this week. Well, I've seen that they're going to try to do double headers with only seven innings. So one game is seven innings. The other game is also seven innings. Theoretically, they could do this for the entire series. Like the Red Sox could play the Yankees or whoever in a two-game series. Just play both games on the same day and get out. 
You know, that's it not would a terrible way, idea. It would be a it would be a way to not only get games done, but also speed up the season a little faster if you're trying to get this done as quick as possible. Mark, what are your thoughts on this? You know, it's interesting if you, especially if you look at the athletic. You know, they had a great article not too long ago about the Marlins and you know the whole process that the team had with you know if there are cases, you know what do we what do we do? And a lot of the players all came together and agreed. You know, even if there are cases, let's just move forward. Like we we don't we don't care. We just want to move this thing forward. And you know, it's it's patently absurd, quite frankly. So the MLB has been you know very reckless through this whole process. But here's here's the other shoe to drop beyond you know the MLB. Don't forget the NFL is waiting in the wings without a bubble, and they are very very passionately saying full season, full stop. We are going and going for it. So they, they are going to be in the exact same situation. And don't forget that many, many talented NFL players all live in Florida where the cases are spiking. So yeah. that is going to be – Continue really- to spike. Can, yes. not, not just spiking, but continue. The last couple of weeks, it's just been mm-hmm. nonstop. It's like a roller coaster that just keeps going up and up and up and up, and you're waiting for it to drop. And it just it's, – it's not, um, you know – I stand by my statement. I think the MLB is going to run into problems, and I think that, you know, they're going to have to do a lot, a lot of overlooking how they're handling this. And I think sooner rather than later, we're going to come out and get a statement that the MLB is going to – they're either going to postpone the season or they're going to cancel it. I, I think that we're going to get a stoppage in this baseball season. I don't, I don't think it's going to continue straight through. Thanks. There's a possibility for that. So, Connor, there's your, there's your hot take. Also, I, mean, lot. <laughs> I still think we should all just not – like, they should have no one leave the house in the entire United States for two weeks, and then just – that's it. We'll be good. Yeah. Probably. Also, Free Joe Kelly. Yes. In, Free Joe Kelly. Free Joe Kelly. Absolutely. Free Joe Kelly. Can we just talk about that for one split sure. second? Yeah. And how, and how he's getting suspended – Eight times as much for throwing at a batter than anybody that was on can that we, Houston Astros team that was say, proven can, of cheating. Can we even say that Joe Kelly intentionally threw at no, Correa? No, we can't. This man broke his window trying to throw a changeup. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, the thing I keep going back to is to suspend him, sure. But one, it's a twenty. It's a, it's equal to a twenty-game suspension. Yeah, exactly. It's absurd. And two, none of the Astros got suspended for cheating. So that's – you're setting your precedent here. He's not, he's not going to be the only one that does that, though. Maybe or loses, loses the grip on a breaking ball. Mike Clevenger, Mike Clevenger, Indians pitcher, he tweeted, like, are you guys really so, – so he was like, so they're surprised that, we threw, that he threw at them and that they still receive no punishment and they're surprised that someone's mad. Yeah, I mean it's it's stupid and it's not going to end as like you said. It's it's guys are going to keep throwing at him and it's going to be Also, I mean, all season. Connor Edwin Diaz hit Jose Peraza with a pitch last night. Where's his eight-game suspension? Come on now. Uh, Jeff McNeil got hit with a pitch from someone on the Red Sox. Where's his suspension? Come on, if you if you're going to be giving out these if you're going to be giving out eight-game suspensions, do it for everybody. Right, for everybody. Hitting- everybody's invited. Right. All right, so 
Okay, one more thing. Yeah. One one player on the Giants was hit in the groin with a pitch last night, and the Dodgers announcers were like, "100-game suspension." <laughs> Honestly, so, wouldn't be surprised if if something came out of that. But let's move on. Let's move on to a team uh, to a league that has bubbled, as Connor has dubbed that term. Connor, you may want to copyright that. Or, oh yeah, or trademark it, depending yeah. on which one uh, you really want credit for. Uh, but the NBA, the NBA came back last night. A couple of games on the uh, on the docket last night. Uh, I'm trying to pull them up here if I can. Uh, I heard the Lakers Clippers game was. I didn't watch, but I the Lakers Clippers game, game was. was it was a good game. Uh, 103-101 win for the Lakers in their first game of the restart in the Jazz. And Rudy Gobert, who was uh, one of the first the members in the National <laughs> Basketball the, the very the fir- first, the first, the inaugural the first. member. He was the first person to test positive in the sports world for coronavirus back in March, after jokingly touching the microphones and everything like what that a, at oh, a table, what a press, oh. or after a press conference, scored the first points of the game, and then got fouled in the final seconds. Went to the free throw line, sunk both free throw shots, and the Jazz won 106-104 over the Pelicans in last night. In last night's action, um, today's action uh, at halftime. Currently, the Magic lead the Nets 70 to 59. The Grizzlies and Trailblazers, Suns and Wizards, Kings and Spurs, Rockets and Mavericks, and the Celtics and Bucks uh, get going tonight in their restart. Do these games matter? Uh, yeah, these are the restart games, the eight, see, okay. the eight games that everybody has left. Ah, so okay. uh, looking at the Celtics, right, guys, um, their remaining games that they have left coming up, um, their toughest game is tonight when they take on, uh, they take on the Bucks. They played the Bucks well over the season, though. So They played them close. They, did, they didn't win either of the games that they had played yeah, they them. Which one? When did they beat the Bucks? I thought October thirty first. Oh, okay, yes, yes. They, they went were... down big and came all the way back and won. Yes, okay. What are they one and two against the Bucks this year? Though? Yeah, I know they beat them. I don't know their okay. record, but I know they beat them at least once. So yeah, they got the Bucks tonight. Then they got the Blazers uh, August second, August fourth. They have the Heat the fifth against the Nets. Uh, the Raptors, August 7th, August 9th against Orlando, the 11th against Memphis, and the 13th against the Wizards to close it out. Um, but, yeah, uh, any thoughts on the Celtics? Obviously, the big concern uh, is Kemba Walker and how his knee is going to handle um, the revamp here. Uh, Brad Stevens has come out and said that he is going to be on a minutes restriction Uh over the remaining eight games before they get into "quote unquote" the playoffs uh, for the NBA, um, we'll open it up for thoughts. It wouldn't be uh, a Celtics postseason without post without point guard problems. It's true. Always since Rondo was on the team, we've always had point guard problems. But I mean, I'm not that concerned with Kemba. Brad Stevens came out and said his knee is as healthy. It's as healthy as it's been all season long. So I mean. Whether that means his knee was really bad at some points, or it's it's nearly one hundred percent back to one hundred percent. I think. I mean, obviously, he hasn't played in a while, and with an injury like that, you can't really just go. All right, yeah, you're going to play forty minutes tonight. So, 
I think it's it's just one of those gradual things you got to kind of watch, and I think he'll be fine. I'm not that concerned about it. Um, I mean, also with, with the Celtics already in the playoffs, there's not right, a ton of incentive to push as yeah. hard as you think you might need to. So I I think that the Celtics need him. Um, with, with the bench we have, it's you need Kemba because I mean once that that's a different team with Kemba with Marcus Smart coming off the bench. Marcus Smart's in the starting lineup. Different, completely different team in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So I think getting Kemba back and playing normal minutes is going to be the David for the Celtics going forward. Brown and Tatum also had really solid uh, preseason or preseasons as well. So that's always an encouraging sign. Yeah. I honestly think the biggest question mark in all this is how is Jason Tatum going to play? We heard all during the quarantine and all during the the lockdown or shutdown of the season, all he was doing was playing golf. I mean, not that I find any fault in wanting to go out and play golf, but the Celtics had to ship a basketball hoop to his house because he doesn't have one there. You're in the NBA. You make <laughs> millions of dollars. How do you not have you – You don't need to have a basketball – you don't need to have a hoop in your driveway when you have to drive into the box Center every day. But no, the Owlback Center was. Cl- I'm talking about when the Owlback Center. I'm was just closed. meaning in general. Oh, Rick doesn't need one if he can just drive ten minutes to the Owlback Center. Normal, you know. Yeah, that's true. But to your point, Ian, he makes millions of dollars. Just buy one of Dick's Sporting Goods, get it shipped to your house. Okay, go out and buy what? A couple, you know, drop what? Three hundred on yeah. a basketball hoop. Like that's three po- cents. That's pocket. That's pocket change to him. Yeah. Go out Come and buy on. a. Go out and buy a hoop, and I. I seriously hope that he spent as much time working on his on his shot and how he plays the game of basketball as he did working on his short game or driving the ball because apparently he's got a, a hell of a swing for somebody that just started playing golf during during the whole quarantine. He drives the lane, he drives the lane pretty good, so I assume his, dry, his shot off the tee is pretty good as well. Fair enough. Um, let's – one more thing here before we jump into our hockey uh, – our hockey talk here – Prior to us coming on, and this was earlier on this week, I should say, um, but the Clippers, Lou Williams, he's now halfway through a 10-day quarantine. Uh, this is after he went back home to uh, Atlanta, which was supposed to be for a family, family matter. I believe he had a funeral service to attend for a family member. Um, he he uh, made a trip to Magic City, uh, the most notable name for strip clubs. Uh, he was photographed at Magic City in Atlanta eating chicken wings. So the NBA came out earlier this week. Let's go to Kowloon if you want the wings, man. Yeah, come on. Yeah. Nothing like celebra- um, not celebrating, but grieving the death of a loved one, like going to a strip club. I know, right? Well, so, come on. So the NBA came out earlier uh, this week and said that they were going to place him in a 10-day quarantine. Uh, and he is going to miss a couple of games because of that. Uh, he's going to miss uh, – sorry, he missed the game against the Lakers last night. And he's going to miss the game uh, technically today, August 1st, against the uh, New Orleans Pelicans. He is third on the team in score, scoring, averaging 18.7 points per game. Uh, Somewhere Stephen A. Smith has a smile on his face because he covered this on first take. He's like, with all these dudes in a bubble, how are they going to, you know, get stuff 
done. <laughs> Lou Williams said, F that. I'm going to go out and take care of it myself, but he's going to cost his team. Well, I believe, so, I believe Stephen A. also came out and said he, he really did go to, the, to Magic City for the, uh, for the legs and thighs. <laughs> and the wings, too. And the wings. And the wings. So he's halfway through his quarantine. He'll miss, he'll miss the game today against uh, the Pelicans, but then, uh, then he'll be back again. Who knows how much that's going to affect his game. Uh, Doc Rivers said he isn't sure if he will have his full roster available. Uh, and obviously he, he didn't for last night or Thursday night's game against the Lakers. Um, he said, I don't know that honestly, um, I guess, and now we know that it's true. Uh, I doubt it. He had no idea and he ended up being correct. So we took a private jet from Orlando to Atlanta and on Saturday morning, there was, there was a picture of him at a, at the strip club eating chicken wings. I heard they're good chicken wings, to be fair. I've heard they're good chicken wings, too. Jim Murray from 98.5 The Sports uh, backed it up and because you know, he did some time on radio down in Atlanta. He, he stands by it. He said if you're going to waste, waste time and you, know, you want to have to self-quarantine for 10 days again, Magic City is the place to go and it's worth it. <laughs> oh, God. But, well. All right, fellas, it's time to get to uh, what we – uh, most anticipated here. Uh, it's time to get into some hockey talk before we get into the NHL. Uh, I do want to touch on some local college hockey news. Uh, the Hockey East Association came out on Tuesday and announced they have a plan, and they have a plan to start and hopefully play some or all of the 2020-2021 uh, season, they announced saying the uh, season could consist of anywhere from a 24-game schedule to a 30-game schedule, all in conference, starting anywhere from mid-December to post-Christmas slash New Year's. Um, it's interesting to think about that because if you do 30 games or you do 24 games all conference, do you open up postseason and have all 11 member schools eligible? And if so, how do you go about that? Uh, we'll throw it over to Mark and see what Mark has uh, for thoughts on this. It's, it's interesting. Again, there it's, we're into the new normal now. So there's really no, no playbook for the way that this is supposed to go. I feel like the hockey East is doing the right thing by, trying to do right by the players and make sure that everybody gets a shot at the season. Um, I think ultimately they're trying to salvage this where, you know, every, every league can stay within itself. And the point's been made in the media so far that hockey East is probably the most sustainable when it comes to, if you're trying to get all of the players together and put them in one place, it's going to be particularly easy because with hockey East, all of these teams are a bus ride away by like three, four five hours. So you're not talking about, let's say, a Big Ten where you have teams flying all over the place and, you know, try, and the WCHA and, you know, the new – The NCHC? Yep, NCHC. Great example. Like, those, te- those leagues are going to have a tough time because you're going to be going all over the place. Now, the thing with, um, with this is, you know, do the um, regulations lax a little bit by the time that we get to January? You would hope so, but, you know, there's no guarantee of that. I think hockey is going about this the right way. 
and it makes a lot of sense. The, the real question is, how do the other leagues do it? And also, my question is, you know, if Hockey East is able to do this and get a 20-game, 30-whatever-game season, awesome. But how does that translate to the NCAAs? Does the mm. NCAA have a championship? That's what oh, Hockey East final. <laughs> works for me. Yeah. works for me, too. But, but wait, you have to think of it on a personal, personal note for us, too. Like, you don't know what this is going to look like in so many different aspects because, yeah, they're going to play the games between hockey schools, but what is staffing going to look like? Are you going to be able to have half the people in the press box? Are you going to need a music guy? Are you going to need a stack guy? Are you going to need a replay guy? Are you going to need a PA guy? If there's no You're going to need a PA guy. You know, it's, it's, these are the questions we need to ask ourselves, and all these schools are going to have to figure out a way to do it. And I, I don't know what the best answer would be. I mean, the Will LeBlancs and, Will, and Mike Sullivans have, have some, some great, great questions. They, they have to get answered here soon. I think, you know, it's great that they're going to try and play. But, I mean, if you don't get stat booklets in between each period and you don't get the starters out, like, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be different at the end of the day. And yeah. I mean, we all, but it's – what kind of product are we going to get at the end of the day, I think, is the, the, the question that is really on, on the, the forefront here. So you also, have, you also have the question of the players themselves, too. So yes. you, have freshmen, you have freshmen who are coming in, and this is very atypical of the way a freshman would get started with a team, especially if you're a true freshman. You're coming out of high school or prep yeah. or whatever and coming into a team. So a lot of times what, what most programs are starting to do is they'll bring kids in over the summer – and have them take summer courses where they can get all their schoolwork done ahead of time. Then they can go out and play and be, you know, free and clear and not have to think about it. And then by the time they get to the second half of the year, they're, you know, they're wise enough in the ways of how college operates to be able to do both at the same time. So that is completely thrown out the window. So you're literally getting all of these same things hitting you at once. But at the same time, you also have to think about, you know, the individual teams and their recruiting classes. I was having a discussion with a couple of people this week and, you know, I, I was talking about, you know, you know, who has a good recruiting class this year and, you know, things like that. And the person was saying to me, well, it doesn't matter. And I said, well, what do you mean? And they're like, it, it doesn't matter because you don't know who's going to end up where. And that is a very, very valid point. Take a look at the Ivy Leagues right now and the fact that Harvard has already lost a bunch of kids. They've lost Jack Rathbone to the Vancouver Canucks. They've lost potentially Matt Beniers, one of their top recruits to Michigan. Yeah, he's going to Michigan. Yep. yep. So, like, th this is – and this is a thing that, you know, is, you know, being whispered about a lot is the fact that the Ivies are starting to lose a lot of recruits because there's the threat that the Ivies may shut the season down. So that is definitely something that's on the lips of some folks, but whether or not it's actually a reality is something that will remain, you know, we'll have, we'll have that conversation for another few months before, you know, whatever else happens. But that is a reality that, you know, you're starting to see a lot of folks jumping ship and, and trying to, either go to the pros if they can, or they're trying to make other arrangements. So Me Mark and Connor just... had this discussion uh, two days ago, Connor, when we were watching the Swansea game. And um, me, me and him, we were like, you can jump in if you want, Connor, but we came up with the idea that 22, 24 games would be about the correct length. And we also determined that, you know, you, the close teams in hockey used to do the home at home. That's basically going to have to be eliminated in my mind. You're going to have to play BC twice at Merrimack or BC twice at BC. You can't have them going both ways because that just adds extra travel and extra risk. 
with places like Maine and Vermont, where you already have the two home games there already, and then if they come here, it's the same thing. That's easy. That can be determined. Like that's simple. But with closer teams, you really have to de- you really have to determine the risk of playing at Lawler or at Songus or Lawler and Aganis or whatever. So that's something I think they have to take in consideration as well. Uh, fellas, a little bit. Sorry, just to change the subject here real quickly. Um, we certainly weren't planning on talking about this. This just came across by oh, breaking the Boston Marathon bomber Joe Carzernayev's death sentence has been overturned by federal appeals court. Wow, you're kidding me. Uh, the federal appeals court on Friday overturned the death sentence of Joe Karzanayev, the man convicted in 2013 Boston Marathon bombing. The three-judge panel of the first U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals in Boston issued the decision more than six months after arguments were heard in the case. Obviously, the 2015, uh, 2013 attack on April 15th uh, killed three people and injured more than 260 others. The judges said this does not mean that Zernayev will be freed from the Supermax prison in Colorado where he is currently locked up. Uh, quote, make no mistake, uh, Joe Carr will spend his remaining days locked up in prison with the only matter remaining being whether he will die by execution, the ruling stated. Um, so, with, so with their taxpayer money, they're keeping him alive. Yes. And this, I mean, I don't mean to get political here, but people like blame cops and stuff. It's at the judges too, man. It goes all the way up. Just saying. Oh yeah, yeah. No, it's it goes all the way to the top. So the appeal, I mean, the appeal, the appeals judges in a hearing case, uh, in a hearing on the case in early December, devoted a significant number of questions to the juror bias argument. Obviously, with it being, with him being tried in the state of Massachusetts, you were going to get that juror bias just because of everybody in the state of Massachusetts. You know, this guy attacked the city of Boston. He attacked Massachusetts residents. People know people that were affected. People, family members were affected. So, you know, I just, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not one to sit here and I'm not going to sit here and, you what? know, play God and just, you know, say that this is right or it's wrong. But based off of evidence and everything that happened, I, I just, I don't understand this ruling. This is ridiculous. It's like very clear that he did it. And I don't know how, you know, biased or not, that he doesn't get the, I mean, I, I know nothing about the judicial system or how things work. Certainly not going to act like I'm a professional on that or an expert on that. But I mean, what? Like why even reverse it? I don't understand. I don't, I don't get it. I think it's stupid. He attacked the city of Boston and murdered and changed the lives of hundreds of people. He can rot in hell for all I care. So I don't care. I mean, torture him in prison. Sure. Make his life worse for longer. That's fine. But just, uh, that's not the news I expected to hear today. No. So I just that needed to be shared, obviously, with us being Massachusetts residents. You know, uh, we all remember where we were the day it happened when we first heard about it, um, and we know what the city went through, and we know what the 
residents of Boston went through for months and people are still going through because of the events that took place seven years ago. But anyways, I digress. Let's get back on track. Uh, that was just news that uh, needed to be shared uh, as it came across uh, phones and social media and whatnot. But uh, Mark, you brought up the interesting aspect about bus rides for uh, Hockey East. The longest bus ride is that from the Elf on Arena to Gutterson Fieldhouse in Vermont. So from Maine to Vermont, that is the, long, the longest trip at five and a half hours. Really? Yep. I would think it would be nope. Maine to it's not Maine. It's not Maine to Providence, and it's not Maine to Yukon. I just Google mapped it, and it, it's wow, Maine to Vermont. Well, Connor, if you think about it, if you think about it, you got to go across three different states. Yeah. And there's no major highway. That's the thing. Yeah. With Providence, uh, you're in a major highway, and you could take the major highway north, and right. you have a chance to go faster. Yeah, you're you're going you're going 95 the whole way or 495, whatever. So, uh, but yeah, the longest trip is Maine to Vermont. Um, anybody have any thoughts before we move on to the NHL? Here we'll wrap up with the Hockey East talk. Uh, do you think Hockey East opens up the playoffs to all to all teams making the playoffs? And if so, how would that work out? Because there's eleven there's eleven teams. If there was 12 teams, sure, you could easily do it. The top four get a bye, I, and then you go from there. Five plays 12 like we see in the NHL. I think they'll keep it the same. If they get it in, if they can get a season like that in, there's no need to open up the playoffs because everyone's playing the same amount. The only reason why the NBA and the NHL did it is because not everybody played the same amount of games. If everybody can play 22, 24, 30, whatever it is going to be, there's no reason to open it up because everyone's played the same amount. If it gets shortened, maybe you open up the idea. But if it goes off without a hitch, no. I I think they're going to stick at the you know at the number of games starting in January. So if they can get twenty, they'll get twenty. If they get more than that, then then good for them. I feel like they would probably want to organize this the same way that the tournament is organized now because it's no different you know from an in conference perspective. So I don't expect them to change it. But, yeah, I can, I can totally see, especially – and the other thing, too, by the way, this is a very, very unique situation. Don't forget that Commissioner Britannia retired, and now you have Stephen Metcalf, who is now at the helm. So you have kind of a newer, younger, and also a, you know, more schooled in the, in the recency ways of, you know, media as well as the way that hockey operates. So this is a very, very different situation. I get the feeling that you're going to have a more um, expandable or maybe in a, more, a more elastic version of what Hockey East would have done. Because I think an older version of Hockey East wouldn't have, you know, been quite as willing to bend a little bit. But I think this Hockey East will. Connor, anything from you, bud? Or I think shall that's we, uh, very shall we move well on? I think Hockey East is going to – not that – Going in a different direction sounds like worse than I'm, I'm meaning it, but Britannia was very set in his ways with how he did things, and now Metcalf's coming in, and I could definitely see potentially things changing. I mean, you're already seeing the all of NCAA is doing three on three overtime. I think realistically, they were I'm waiting very excited to, about that. Uh, to retire to do that because I think he was pretty pretty i don't know if there was a plan to change it anywhere or if hockey's had anything to do with that 
but I think the timing with that is, is pretty fun. But um, er, I think it's – go ahead, Mark. Can I offer a hot take on three-on-three overtime? Absolutely. Yeah. We love hot takes here. I hate it. I no, hate really? It. Really? Wow. I hate it. Well, Carl, I, I, think you just, I think you just found your hot take. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Perfect. What, why? I, I hate it. I hate three-on-three overtime, and I'm going to tell you why. So here's, here's the thing. And, and by the way, this is, this is a semi-original take. Part of this is Mike McMahon from um, the Eagle Tribune, Mac Report. He's, he's, you know, brought this up too, and I 100% agree with his logic here, especially looking at it from a scouting context, and here's why. So three-on-three overtime, if you're in the NHL, the difference between Team 1 and Team 30 or 31 or whatever is fairly minimal. If you're in the NHL, you are a highly skilled player or a highly effective player or a skilled physical player that can make a difference if you're put out on the ice in a three-on-three situation. So that I get. If you're in college hockey, you have players from the ages of 18 to 25 playing in this league, and you have all kinds of different types of teams who have either different budgets in, um, within their organizations. They have different budgets to go and get and recruit players. They have different skill levels that they're recruiting. So if you have a team, like let's say, um, just for the sake of argument, Boston College and Bentley. If you have a three-on-three overtime between BC and Bentley, I don't care you know, what three players you're putting on the ice on, on you know, either side, Bentley is at a disadvantage there. And that's not, I don't like that at all. If you were to put it four-on-four or five-on-five, then that game isn't as wide open and you don't have as many opportunities you know, for those skill players with BC who require more space. Or if, they, if you give them more space, they can go and do things. Whereas Bentley's game is you know, they want to tighten things up and they don't want you to have that space. That just, that just doesn't work. In a three-on-three, it's going to be over in like 30 seconds. I just like, imagine Cal McCarr with three-on-three overtime in hockey. East. Exactly. He would have destroyed everybody. Exactly. And- to Mark's point, that he would have destroyed everybody in college hockey. He was that good. Yep, yep. And there are plenty of other players that are a lot like him, not exactly like him, but there are a yeah. lot of other, you know, puck-moving defensemen who would just torture people. So, Mark, know? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you on the spot here. Who are a couple of players in Hockey East right now that have the same – not the same, but have close to – the abilities that Kale McCarr presented when he was at Amherst? That is a really good question. That is a really good question. Um, You know, uh, well, first of all, the first thing I'll say is that I don't know if any player has the same skill that Kale McCarr did when he was here. I mean, Mm -hmm. what, what he did transcended college hockey. It was ridiculous what he was able to do. So let's, he was a national, he was a national household name. Yes, he was. And that's those players, those are the ones, you know, that you only see once in a generation. You're Jack Eichels, you know, those kind of guys. Those are guys that they come in and they just dominate from the jump, you know, and you don't get a lot of them. So, you know, another player last year, you know, that, that did something similar was Alex Newhook. He came in as yeah. a freshman at BC and dominated. He put up 40-something points last year as a freshman. Now, granted, you know, BC is an offensive juggernaut, but that is a heck of a job. That is, that is pretty impressive. Cole Caulfield, so, not not division, but Caulfield would rip up three-on-three overtime too. I, yep. I think I think of David Ferentz from BC. Or BU. sorry, BU. Cam Crotty is another one. Um, you look at 
you know, Seth Barton with Lowell is another one. He, he's got that, the ability to, to read plays in front of him really well. Uh, if you look Here's at one. even on Merrimack, you know, Deck, uh, Declan Carlisle, he, he's, like got, he's got the potential. Uh, Hallway. Patrick Hallway. Hallway one. was someone who came to mind, yeah. You know? Yep. I mean, last year, you had a lot of, a lot of players that would have just torched, you know, everybody else. Jack Duggan at Providence was a points machine. He would have been great in a three-on-three. You, you would have had other guys, too. Like, if you look at, like, Mitchell Fossier at Maine, he was terrific. Oh. He, did a, he had great, great vision. But the player, and I believe he signed, so I don't think he's coming back. Tyler Madden from Northeastern. Northeastern, yeah. Built for three-on-three overtime. He would have shredded people. I mean, it would have been not even fair. But John Leonard from UMass is another one. If he didn't sign, he would have shredded people. You know what I mean? So, you know, of, of players who are still in school, you know, I, I struggle to think of, you know, ones because a lot of the, the top scorers last year, a lot of the better players were seniors. So, I, I would say Newhook because he's coming back for a year. I mean, he's going to be unbelievable next year. So, like, I could, I could easily see him dominating in a three-on-three situation. Um, uh, David Ferentz is going to be really, really good. So he's a, he's a good pick as well. Um, yeah, they, they, would, they would probably be my top two. So let's, let's say this. We all know Merrimack. We all have a pretty decent idea about the recruiting class coming in and the team that we're going to have this year. Who's your first three players you're sending out three-on-three, three, first three-on-three three overtime game if you're Scott Bork? Who are you sending out there? Mm. Greaser. Uh, Chase, Chase Greesock, number one. Um, Zach Ewens, number two. Because um, the thing with Ewens is that he, he can play both ways. He can, he can get the puck up the ice, and he has the ability to kind of yeah. patrol space. Yeah, he's, a very off, he's an offensive defense. He's kind of like a, he's yeah. got a, like a Tory Krug kind of model to his game. Yeah, he's, he's very mobile, and he, his long strides, he can make up a lot of ground. So definitely those, those two guys are going out there. Now, this is a debate. So uh, personally, I would say Patrick Hallway would be my third. Because, again, you have a guy who can play two ways if things – you know, if you have to go back, he can backtrack for you. Or he could just unleash a clapper and just let it rip, you know, yeah. so he can do both. If you're looking to have more offensive jump, you know, you could put um, a bunch of guys out there. You could put one of the forwards coming in, like a Mark Hillier, who is just a very, very bright hockey player, great hockey IQ. So he would be a really good player in or, a three situation. Or the big, big name coming on the campus – Phil Forsmark. Coming yep. back to put a Forsmark out there. Forsmark would be a great setup man for that kind of situation. That would, mm. that would work out really nicely. Another, another player who I think would do really well, he could use his speed in, you know, in more uh, open ice, is a guy like Reagan Kimmins. I thought mm. he was an underrated freshman last year. His mm. you know, point totals from the team weren't really there, but you know, the, what he did last year, given you know, what the team was, I thought was pretty impressive. And he has – he has a lot of upside to tap into. He and you know he could also possess the puck really well. He would be a player I would send out there too. He's just got one of those goal scorers releases too. That sometimes yeah. some, last season he'd just come down the wing, kind of like a Brett Sini type at, at Merrimack, where he just would come down the wing sometimes and he would just be he would just shoot it and it would go in and it would be like, all right, well, okay, yeah. We some some kids can just snap it. You know, yeah. some kids can really snap it. I can still like just off the top of my head. In all the years that I've scouted, one of the best shots that I've ever seen was Mark McLaughlin 
the player for Boston College. He yes. had one of the best shots I've ever seen. He, I saw him as like a 15 and a 16-year-old, and he was just whizzing pucks by goalies' heads. It was unbelievable. And he still has a great shot at BC. He's not known as much as, you know, like a new hook or any of those other kids are, but he can rip it, absolutely rip it. So, yeah, those are, those are the kids that I would send out in, in an OT situation. Yeah, But uh, I knew my hot take that I hate the idea of three on three. I hate it. I mean, it's an argument. I, like, I, you don't really think of it that way because you're like, ooh, three on three, exciting. But, there's, I mean, break it down like that. It's 100% fair. There's only like, two sides of the argument. You either love it or you hate it. There, there yeah, is, yeah, exactly. Like, I, I think it's a, it's a bullcrap argument for the NHL because it's – yeah, there's better teams. But like you said, Mark, there's so many good players in the NHL that it's more on an even playing field. In, in college hockey, there's the, the, the difference between some teams is just going to be – It's too, laughable. Yeah. Right. I, I didn't even think of it, but I'll, I'll just maybe end it here. But in three-on-three overtime in the NHL, you'll see guys like Sean Corrales out there for the Bruins – and he's yeah. a third, fourth-line center. You put a third, fourth-line center in college out there yeah. three, three overtime, <laughs> done. Yep. See you later. Game over. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Might as well start the bus on that when he, when he gets on the ice. Yep. Well, great segue, Cameron. I appreciate that. You make my job a little bit easier sometimes <laughs> doing stuff like that. I try. Well, let's, talk some, let's talk some NHL here, fellas. Um, since we last talked to you, the NHL is officially back. Games have been taking place at the hub cities of Toronto and Edmonton. Uh, Scotiabank Arena in Toronto is housing the Eastern Conference, and Rogers Place in Edmonton is hosting the Western Conference. Uh, games taking place. I'll run you through scores here from the exhibition games, not, not that you take much stock in them. Uh, Tuesday afternoon, the Flyers defeated the Penguins in overtime, 3-2. The Maple Leafs doubled up the Canadians 4-2, to and the Oilers, the host Oilers in the Eastern Conference, thumped the Calgary Flames 4-1 uh, to in the Battle of Alberta. And what ended up turning out to be a pretty chippy affair chippy. at times and for what was an exhibition game. Uh, Wednesday afternoon, uh, the Lightning blanked the Panthers 5-0, Avalanche over the Wild 3-2, Capitals over the Hurricanes 3-2, the Blackhawks blanked the defending Stanley Cup champion Blues for nothing. The Islanders uh, defeated their cross-bridge rival Rangers 2-1. Uh, and the Jets topped the Canucks 4-1. Last night in the final day of exhibition games before games get set to kick off today on Saturday, the Predators blanked the Stars 2-0. The Blue Jackets defeated the Bruins 4-1. And the Golden Knights defeated the Coyotes 4-1. Uh, the Coyotes wearing their vintage Kachina jerseys. Oh, they're officially uh, back full-time. Yep. Entire playoffs, and I'm a big fan of that. Um, let's dive on into the Bruins. Uh, we'll open it up to thoughts on last night's game against Columbus in general. Who wants to take it? I wonder who wants to take it first. Cameron, go ahead. I'll take it first. Um, I hope you guys were happy you waited four and a half months for that performance. Uh, really flat to start. I feel like nobody was really in game shape at all, at, at least off the start. I mean, sure, they looked better as the game went on, but that terrible goal four minutes in, got through Chara, got through Corrali, got through Carlo, just – bad Rass gave up a seeing eye two I'd say two seeing eye goals he could have stopped them both 
you know, Pasternak I, I put got that, one back. I, put that, but, I strongly put that third one on Rask. That's one that he has to have. Poopy pants. Pants Rask. It's, it's – Marshan looked flat. Uh, Pasternak looked flat. Everybody, I feel, looked flat. Studnicka looked all right. DeBrus looked okay, I guess. Uh, it. I mean – I don't have many positives, except that it's an exhibition game, and they have three other games that don't really count. I mean, I mean they do, but the deal. I mean, whether the one seed or the four seed by the end of this, they're going to have to win whoever they play against anyway. It's yeah. not really going to. I mean, you're going to you're going to have to play. Who you're going to have to play. Yep. Like you're like the Capitals. I mean, this will be a good proving ground to see where they're at compared to everybody else. But uh, um, didn't think they looked very good. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you, Cameron. I mean, well, was not. Let's let's all let's get this out there. We're Bruins fans at the end of the day, but let's be realistic. They stunk. It was just not. It wasn't. It was like not even entertaining to watch all that much. Um, the only, there, you know, Studnicka was good. I think he Studnicka did it. Studnicka was a he was a stud. Yeah, uh, I liked him with Krejci and DeBrusque, and I think that's going to work until. Kasha comes back, and then Bruce Cassidy has to make a decision. Um, even you know, Kasha may not play, depending on. Kasha, I have a bone. I got a bone to pick. I got a bone to pick when we get to that. Yeah, um, I think you know you could play with Nick Ritchie's close to coming back, and I think he's he'll he'll fit in. I think if you throw him with Charlie Coyle, uh, or you could throw DeBrus down with Coyle, you, you you play with some things. But I think Nick Ritchie when he comes back, is going to come back. Kasha, like you said, Ian, is, is maybe almost too far behind at this point to maybe even play until the first actual playoff round. Um, but the other good thing for me was it seemed like they woke up a little bit as the game went along. Yeah, they, they weren't playing necessarily well, but they weren't playing terrible. So they slightly improved as the game went along. Um, so take that as you will for an exhibition game, you know, doesn't matter how the, 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 the end product was, it was kind of how you saw these players play throughout the whole game. So watching them kind of work their way through this first game and, and getting slightly better towards the end of it was, was good to see. So that's, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it wasn't a good game and it doesn't make me feel good about going forward. Though. So Stanika DeBrusque. And Kuhlman led the way for the Bruins with three shots on goal each last That night. you can't. That's unexcusable. Yeah. No. Can't happen. Uh, Stanika had 13.40 time on ice. Um, he, I mean, as far as forwards go, he was ahead of Kuhlman. He was ahead of Corrali. He was ahead of Lindholm, Nordstrom, Wagner, and Bjork. So he got a, he got a lot of ice time last night, it, and, I, it, and I think that's part of because of how good he looked. I think Cassidy liked how he looked, the good especially players. as the game went along. Yeah. If, Something if, else I'd like to bring up: the faceoffs at one point were thirty-seven to fourteen for Boston. So we're like, winning face. That's good. The the possession <laughs> is clearly the problem. Yes. Well, yeah, they were, they were turning it over last night. The, the, the defense looked terrible at times. They, they had no sense of time or space. They were, they were throwing pucks up the middle of the slot like, you know, like they're giving away hams on Christmas. It yeah, was, Mark made a play where he skated out from behind the net, 
cut in right in front of the net, tried to make some chip move, gave it right to Pierre-Luc Dubois, who hit the post. I was like, what are you doing? You learned that in peewee not to do that. Yeah. And you're out of the NHL. Just like, all right, you need a slap in the face. You need to wake up here, bud, before we get going. I think uh, one big thing, and, and I'll throw it over to Mark, too, because I feel like we keep forgetting Mark. Um, but uh, Columbus had five power play opportunities last night, and the Bruins had two. Columbus didn't play that much of a cleaner game than, than the Bruins did. Oh, there were some questionable calls. Oh, absolutely. I also think five on five, just the Bruins were not bad. Yeah, that's that's true. That's true. Mark, what do you what were your thoughts on last night's game? Did you get a chance to watch? I did. So I got to watch the the whole thing. I think the the takeaway for me was, you know, yeah, that it wasn't really a great a great game to watch. It wasn't a high quality contest. It wasn't really a lot of slick stuff, you know, aside from Pasternak's goal, which was pretty sick. But that was nice, yeah. I, I think my takeaway is honestly, if if you're looking at a playoff game being the Bruins giving a hundred percent, I think in that game they probably gave about sixty percent. Honestly, That's- I don't I don't think they were treating that as an actual game. I think they were treating it more as a conditioning stint than they were anything mm-hmm. else. But that's you know, now, granted, I'm not in that locker room, so I don't know what they were doing, but that's what it looked like to me is that they were treating this as a conditioning thing. And, you know, can we get through, you know, 40-second shifts and get back on the bench and get your win, get back out there, do it again? If you make some plays, awesome. If you don't, it doesn't count. So what do we care? Like, that's, that's the way it looked. And that's why you saw a lot of turnovers. That's why you saw a lot of defensive breakdowns. That's why you saw, you know, a lot of, you know, poor gap control and things like that. That – to me, that's why. It's, it's because I don't think they were really taking that game seriously. The real question is going to be, when they play again over the weekend, do you see a different team? And I'm willing to bet that you will. I'm willing to bet that those games actually matter for something. Now, they may not matter for something beyond seeding, but I think that you're going to see a much better team. And for the record, um, the, the players that I had stars next to after that game, not that I was scouting it, but for the sake of watching it, um, I would say Bjork looks a lot better than he did during the regular season. So that's definitely a plus. That nice new contract probably adds a little bit of confidence. Probably helps. He was, he was a lot better. And you know, a lot of the the things that he's had problems with is that he wasn't shooting as much. The more he shoots, the better he is. And Mm -hmm. he's shooting a lot more and he's doing a lot better putting quality shots on that. That's half the battle. So, I mean, he, I thought did pretty well. Corrali was very Corrali. So nothing, nothing new there. I thought Lawzone again, he, during the regular season, he had some good games. This game, I thought he wasn't bad either. I agree. Actually, that's a, that's somebody I had written down as well. I thought I thought he played very well in this game. He is going to be a very nice replacement player when someone leaves in free agency. He's going to slide in very nicely into a slot there. So there's when that. Krug goes. Yep, exactly. And, and I thought Krug looked fantastic last night because despite his game being a minus two, the what? Despite being a minus two on the score sheet. Because even even because I honestly don't think that the stats really tell the story of that game. I feel like what he did in that game is he's you know making sure that he can still catch up to guys that his feet are moving that he's creating shots. He did he made a lot he created a lot of quality shots last night. Now granted the defense gave up a lot of goals that they probably shouldn't have, but he he was moving around and he looked very good from a footwork perspective. So I liked that piece of his game. My my only takeaway here. Before we, I let you finish, 
Pierre Luc Dubois Ma- made him made him look like he was skating in the old folks league. Well, I mean, Krug was he was hip and hip, and Jack and Brick talked about it too. Brick made made the comment when they came back from commercial that you know he he was right there with him, but Dubois just freaking turned on the Jets and see you later. He was gone. It helps when you have longer legs. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Dubois, Dubois is legit. He is he's really, good. really legit. He I saw him be- play junior hockey. I got to see him when he was playing up in Cape Breton. He was a stud up there, too. Yeah, he honestly – I could see him entering the McDavid, Dreisaitl, you know, Crosby, Ovechkin. He could eventually get into that conversation when more people realize how good he is. Yeah. His problem Just is he plays in Columbus. That's his right. problem. Right, right, exactly. It's and that's what of- happened to Rick Nash. Yeah, if, so, he play, if he played in a big market like New York, Boston, Chicago, a Canadian market like Toronto, Edmonton. Don't say he, he, don't he, Come on. As much as we hate on the Leafs, Toronto is the hockey market in, in Canada. Yeah. Yep. So sure. if he played in any of those markets, he would be a household name in the National Hockey League. But he plays in Columbus. That's why he does not get talked about. Ohio. So – before we get into everything with, like, uh, the playing rounds qualifiers, what have you guys been thinking about the ice? Um, I, got, I, was, I, have a, I have a little factoid before you guys open up about this. Yeah, go ahead. I was, I was watching the Blues-Hawks game last night, and Darren Pang, great Pang. job, did his research, Panger. Holy did his research. jumping! It's the first time a NHL game has been played on the same ice surface twice in the same day since 1968. Madison Square Garden. Oh, wow. So, and then he also brought up that, that ice that, that the Blues and Hawks are playing on, that was their second of three games that night. Yeah. So is he so, using that as the excuse as to why the Blues couldn't put the puck in the back of the net? No, I mean, but, I mean, obviously with no fans, you can turn the temperature and the rink down a little bit. And oh, with yeah. the heat outside, you're going to have to do that anyway. But have you guys, like, has it been, do you guys think it's been choppy? Do you guys think it's been smooth? Uh, well, what have you guys been problem, saying? The problem, Cameron, for me is it's tough to tell if the players are just really rusty. That's also it, true. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, there was a couple plays during the Bruins game where, like, just pucks were rolling off sticks and stuff. I don't know if that was because, you know, there was a couple games. There was, it's been that a was lot the of- only game in Toronto last night, so – Okay, so I think that's probably a little bit more rust. And to that point, this is the first time the Bruins are playing on Scotiabank Arena's ice. They've been practicing on a different ice surface. So they came out. The Bruins should be good on bad ice. They went to the final with the Garden's terrible, terrible surface. And the Bruins have played the Leafs in the playoffs the last couple of years. They should be used to Toronto. They haven't played hockey in four months, and now this is the first time they're playing on this ice. I know, I know. So – that's like I'm just trying to give them an excuse here uh, on, on maybe why they, they looked as bad as they So just speaking from a little bit of a personal experience here, fellas, obviously with me working at the hockey rink at Merrimack for three years, I have a little bit of a have a little bit of the inside. I have a basic understanding as what it takes to put together a good sheet and kind of you know take care of a take care of an ice surface. For for games at Merrimack, when we have you know, anywhere from 1,100 and, you know, when you get a big team in there and you're going to get a full house, you're going to get the full 2,500 people in there. Yep. We we have the temperature of the slab underneath, so that's the concrete surface underneath the, underneath the ice itself. We set that to 13 degrees. That, allow, that allows for 
when the when the zambonis go out to maintain and take care of the ice and resurface it it allows the water and when you use hot water it actually sets up a lot faster on a colder colder surface it allows it to set up quicker and it allows it to freeze and it gives you a better surface so for the nhl to sit here in these empty arenas there's no reason why the ice shouldn't be in pristine condition despite the fact of playing anywhere from two to three games on the same surface in a day. In the 80, you 90 degree heat. Lab negative 10 degrees if you wanted to. No, you don't want to go that cold because you'll end up cracking the ice. See, there you go. You don't, you, do don't, I- you don't want to go any lower than 10 degrees. That's it. And, that, and that's, that's – Set it as much as you can. Yeah. Well, don't also forget the fact that you know, usually in, in any shelf city, you're, you know, you have 20, 30, whatever thousand people in the stands. So I'm wondering if there has to be some calibrating done by the folks who are running the ice down there, because if you don't have those people in, in the house, do you need to change the temperature of the ice itself? Because you saw a lot of bouncing pucks last night. Right. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. So Cam, after that thought, I just have one more talking point here. And it's been a talking point in the city of Boston for hockey (laughs) as long as I can remember. How long is Tuka Rask's leash this year in the playoffs? I know we're not taking and putting a whole lot of stock into how he played last night. But if he comes out on Sunday and he gives up, again, two goals, three goals in the first period, and maybe one or two of them are a couple of ones that you would have liked to see to see him make a save on. Does Cassidy go to Halak a lot quicker here? Because he's already said that Tuka's going to start Sunday, and then Halak is probably going to get game two against Tampa, and we're going to see who ends up getting that third game. I think Tuka Rask's leash deserves to be a lot shorter than a lot of people in this city give him credit for. I don't know if anyone's giving him credit. You should have seen Twitter last night. Oh, I know. Um, Twitter was ripping him. But I'm not going to give up on the guy that carried us in certain aspects to the cup final last year. No, and I'm not taking anything away from how good he was last year, getting you all the way to game seven. But as much as you want to say the team played like crap in front of him in game seven, how many of those goals last year would you like to see him make a stop on in that that game? Everybody has those saves, Ian. You got to remember that. Everybody has those moments. So, I know, but I'm still, on, how, I'm how on many team how many, Tuka come hell or high water. That's how many, that's how many times have we seen him? How many times have we seen him, you know, crap his pants in the big moment? How many times? Did, how many times did we see Tim Thomas give up completely easy saves because he that, was stupid and wandered? But that was because of his playing style. Rask is a stay-at-home goaltender. There's no reason. I mean, that third goal last night that was garbage. I would argue he's pushing that, side to side and he has a stick down and it still goes in. That's one that Rask of, has to have. A lot of the goals that Tuka gives up is because he's a butterfly goal. Just hide. He drops his shoulder way too early. That's the one. That's the thing on Rask. He'll drop and, his shoulder very, very quickly, and that's how you an, can beat him. To answer the question, I've been thinking a lot about this since yesterday. Good. I'm glad I'm not the only and one. I, and yeah. I'm not afraid of giving Halak a start. That no, I want to make that clear. And I don't but think Cass, I don't think Cassidy is either. So here's here's my thought process. So you have Tuka Rask and you have Yaroslav Halak. Tuka Rask's ceiling and his cellar are way higher and way lower than Yaroslav Halak. 
Yaroslav Halak, you're pretty much going to get what you're going to get most of the time. Right down the middle, you know, he'll give you some really good games every now and then, but he's not going to – he's not going to – to me, at this point in his career, I don't think he's going to steal uh, a game for you. Sure, he can do it, but I don't think he can get to that ceiling as high as Tuka can. So I think that's that's the big thing for me is – if you can get Tuka hot, then you're in business. But if a hot Tuka compared to a hot Halak is a completely different team in general. That's kind of where my thought process has been the past 24 hours is you tr- I would stick with Tuka as long as you possibly can to see if he can figure it out. But you, you cannot be afraid with the way the playoffs are this year to throw Halak in there. Because at the end of the day, Tuka can very quickly lose you to some hockey games. But Halak can be in there and just do his job. That's, that's pretty much it for Jaroslav Halak. He does his job. He doesn't do anything too crazy. He doesn't do anything too bad. He does his job. So, you know, realistically, if you're playing really good in front of Halak, then – and that's the thing, too, is maybe maybe Tuka stinks it up the next couple of games and the team just feels more comfortable in front of Halak. And they okay. start playing with him in the net. There's a bunch of different things that you're going to have to look for if you're Bruce Cass. But it's I think you – go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Finish your thought. I just, I just think it's, you know, you, you stick with your number one goaltender as long as you can. And I know it's a 1A and 1B type situation, but stick with Tuca as long as you can. If he keeps putting up these stinkers, then you're going to be – you're going to have to force his hand here. It's just the way it is. And, and despite not giving up a goal last night, there were times where Halak looked a little shaky. He, for he, sure. He got help from the post, what? Two, three times last night? Yeah, but my thing with the goalies last night is it's tough to say anything too crazy right now because no, the Bruins played good yesterday. So it's not on the goalies. Yeah, no. sure, Luka could have had a save here or there. But that's, that's the big thing for me is I'm not really jumping to any crazy conclusions because, yes, it was an exhibition game. So the, the goalies were probably waking up themselves as well. So that's kind of my thing here. Mark, any thoughts before we jump over to the Eastern Conference preview? Um, nothing really incendiary. I feel like, you know, with Tuca, I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt based on what he did last year. And because you have a shortened season, you might as well go with your best and put him out there and see what he does. And what the one thing that Cassidy does really well, they noted on the telecast is the fact that he makes game to game adjustments and period to period adjustments really well. And you saw a lot of that, especially with the road to the winter classic about a year or two years ago, when he was doing a lot of those in game and post game adjustments. I feel like the same thing is going to happen with, changing the defensive structure so that there are fewer opportunities to score goals for the opposing team. So that, I think, ultimately, if you can limit the shots on goal or you can limit the grade-A chances, then your chances of having a good game as a goalie go up. And I think that's ultimately what he's really concerned with. I I think that we're going to see a Rask that, you know, he's, he's got something to prove after last year. He's up for the Vesna again this year. Um, I don't think he's going to win it. I think it'll. I think it'll probably end up going to Vasilevsky down in Tampa. Um, but you think I, the Vesna go to Vasilevsky? Yeah. What? I, I, Vasilevsky's I, awful, dude. Yeah, man, so, man, that's crazy. What? Between Hellebuck and Tuka and freaking Vasilevsky? Yeah, I don't know. I just, dude, I just think research. Ian, the bad takes are my jobs. No, 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 no. <laughs> So, now, whole, I plenty of hot takes in this episode to use in the intro. Yeah, you do. 
You got to wait for the awards to happen, though. But that's I know. that's yeah, true. But yeah, anyways, I think Rask has a little something to prove. I I hope I hope he proves us wrong. I hope that he you know goes on a heater like he did last year, and you know we're sitting here two months from now and we're talking about how great Rask Rask was and he how you know how deserving he was to win the Conn Smythe. Is has there ever been? a player who needs a championship in the city of Boston more than Tuka Rask. <coughs> Number 77. Yeah. 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 I, I think he's the, as far as hockey's concerned, I think Ray Bork, yeah. Ray Bork was the only other one. Yeah. But I like Mark, like we were very young back then, not saying you're that much older than us, but like, I don't think Bork was as hated as Tuka was. I don't know that Tuca is hated. I mean, he's very polarizing. Like, yeah. there are a lot of people that don't like that, you know, he gets all, you know, mad about things or stuff like that. But I, I don't – I mean, Bork was universally loved by everybody. Like, everybody yeah. respected him and everybody loved him. I mean, right. no one liked playing against him because of how good he was. But, you know, like, when it comes to Tuca, it's, it's more – I don't think that – it's just because of how polarizing he is, really. So you have Bruins fans that love him and hate him, and the same yeah. thing with throughout the league, you have people that love him and hate him. But if you look at the results, I mean, the results are there. He he's won a lot of games, and he's had a lot of playoff success just without the ring. That's that's pretty much it. Yeah, and I mean, positional wise too, like defenseman and goaltender, you're going to be viewed differently in that aspect as well. Mm-hmm. All right, fellas, what do you say we get into our uh, Eastern Conference? Uh, preview here, and uh, we'll, we'll do our pickums again for anybody that missed our last episode. Be sure to check us out on Spotify, check us out on YouTube, uh, Apple Podcasts as well. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at TitleTown underscore takes uh, for all the latest news uh, in regards to the show. Um, we will also be increasing our social media usage here as we go along throughout the playoffs as well. Definitely going to be uh, engaging um, everybody out there. Again, we had a poll up yesterday, uh, sorry, uh, Thursday afternoon uh, asking who, who thought, I'm sorry, who you thought was going to score the first goal for the Bruins. Um, 40% ended up being correct in picking, uh, in picking pasta. I think that probably would have been an easy chalk pick for a lot of people um but you know i was kind of hoping it was going to be charlie Coyle, you know the mayor of weymouth would have been the dream cam's best bud um but anyway yeah let's jump right into it we'll start off with the uh the eight nine matchup with the host toronto maple leafs and the nine seed columbus blue jackets and john tortorella who wants to take this one first so there's four of us here each one of us will be on the spot first who wants this one first? I'll take this one. Okay. Cam? Uh, I had this before I saw last night's game, and my – well, I already tweeted it. You can go to my tweets and replies. It's what's your, what's that on Twitter, Cameron? You can Let's... find me at CamerBowitz32. Good man. Um, but uh, I had Columbus and five in this one. I think – I mean, but partially is because, you know, Toronto's a meme and they can never win in the first round and they're just bad in the playoffs in general, but – I think Columbus is getting healthy just at the right time. They were pummeled with injuries before all this thing stopped. And they were still in the playoffs by a couple of points when the league stopped. And they had all those injuries. 
They get healthy. They looked healthy last night, and they looked ready to go. Not saying Toronto didn't, but with only five games, I think they just have that much enough intensity to push by. If it was seven games, don't know. But I'll go Columbus in five. Connor. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna break down some um, I'm gonna bring out some numbers here for you guys. All right, so this this series is very funny to me. Okay, goals per game, Toronto was third in the league, Columbus was 28. Okay, that's first. Three. Goals allowed per game, we're flipping the script here, boys. 26th for Toronto, fourth for Columbus. So this is a defensive juggernaut versus a Offensive oh, juggernaut. Yeah. So this is this is a. I mean, the, the last time Columbus faced an offensive juggernaut. Six games, oh, baby. Six games. Power play, power play and penalty kill, same thing. Toronto sixth uh, power play, um, but you know Columbus has the twelfth ranked penalty kill in the league. So they split the season series one one. Um, but I think it comes down to goaltending. I think Frederick Anderson's a. He's going to be a bit better than either Elvis Merzlikens or Jonas Corposalo. So I got uh, I got Toronto in five games here, boys. Mark, I'll take CBJ in five. Pretty straightforward. My for man. Me. Like the my take on this is um, the Blue Jackets play a much more physical style of hockey that Toronto just cannot match. Yep. Granted, okay. Toronto has the goal scoring ability, but. Columbus is sneaky good when it comes to being inside the dots and scoring goals, which is exactly what you need to do and be scrappy in playoff time. The Blue Jackets don't have the same goaltending that Toronto does, but I don't think it's going to make as much of a difference if you're inside the dots winning wars on the inside. So I'll take CBK in five. Okay. So I was kind of leaning this way uh, prior to seeing – uh, the, the exhibition against the Bruins uh, for the Blue Jackets. Um, and kind of what Mark was saying, I'm going to kind of echo your thought. You know, Columbus is very defensively structured. Um, their defensemen are a little more reliable when it comes to moving the puck, uh, when it comes to making the smart or right decision in the defensive zone. Um, I know it's already been echoed a couple of times here about goaltending, how that would favor Toronto, how the offensive weapons would favor Toronto. Um, one thing that hasn't been brought up is coaching. I think having John Tortorella behind a bench for the Blue Jackets does a, does a lot um, for them. I think it sets up well. And I'm going to take the Blue Jackets in four. I, I think, once again, Toronto is going to struggle. And the memes will continue, like Cam said. And the Blue Jackets will make it out of the first round, and Toronto is going to be going home, and it's a good thing they don't have too far to travel. Can't taking... I, can I say one more point for, for my for the Maple Leafs? Is they're playing in Toronto. Just think about that. Great. Could, There's no fans in the arena. Doesn't matter. You, <laughs> it's not like you the fans to, make much noise anyway. You get to sit in your own locker room, your, <laughs> your own ranked. Hey, no, tech, no, they won't sit in their own locker room when, they have to, when they're not the home team. You didn't see Carey yeah, Price go the wrong way? That was funny. I did. I did. That was, was hilarious. Which can we just talk about really, really quickly here, fellas, because I want to get through this because uh, we still have to get to our bag of fun. Um, I, I like how unique Toronto's setup is where you have to go down down steps and you have like a – Wild. You have, you have a walk 
a lengthy, yeah. lengthy walk to get out. It's like a lot to the ice. You got to go down the steps. Yeah. But so uh, we got three Blue Jackets picks here, and surprisingly, Connor is the only person picking the Leafs. Um, so with that being said, we're going to put him on the spot. Uh, for the next matchup, which is Pittsburgh and Montreal, the five twelve matchup. Cool. We're going to that one here, right? Okay. Um, I have let me get a scroll through my notes here. Hold on. Pittsburgh and Montreal. I have Pittsburgh in four games. Uh, after watching the um, the exhibition games between the two teams, I think Pittsburgh played a really Good game against Philly. Um, really, I think, came down to Philly just being a little bit better of a team than, than Pittsburgh. Um, I think that Montreal has Carey Price um, on the on the back, back end, right in front of the net. And, I mean, I just don't think Montreal's defense is minus Shea Weber. There's just a not, not a whole lot to it. So, good luck stopping Gensel and Malkin and Crosby guys so i uh, yeah i think maybe montreal can steal one carry price can can do that for you but i think uh i think it's going to be uh, pittsburgh and four uh cam um i'll echo the statement pittsburgh and four um i know i know montreal had to play toronto which was never easy but montreal only what won 19 regulation games this season yeah 19 games in regulation this yep. whole season um Carey Price can steal one. I've already marked that one down with the four. Uh, but Montreal gave up two shorthanded goals. Oh, it was absolutely and terrible. They didn't look very good when those goals were given up. I I had them marked down as the worst team that would have played. But Florida decided, hey, we'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> and Calgary didn't play much better than they did either. But Mont- Montreal kind of just looked flat. It's unfortunate for them. They brought along uh, Romanoff, I believe. He's not allowed to play. He's allowed to practice. I don't know why they brought him on. But I think if Montreal was able to get their international free agents, like Romanoff and stuff, they would be closer. But since they're not allowed, it strikes to me that it'll be uh, Pittsburgh and four. Mark. Can I take Pittsburgh and one? Because I'd like <laughs> to take Pittsburgh and one. Yeah, no. Yeah. I'll, I'll take I'll, – I'll take Pittsburgh in four, but the reason being is, I mean, there, there's a lot of battle-tested players on that roster. I don't think they're going to have any issues negotiating the playoffs there. Um, I think Montreal, you know, while they're better than they were last year, I still think there are some question marks on that team overall. And actually, I would point to goaltending as somewhat of a weak spot there because the carry price that you see now is nowhere near the carry price that you mm-hmm. saw five to ten years ago. I'm going to, you know, issue another hot take alert here. I'm going to predict that Carey Price gets pulled in one of these playoff games. Wow. You can see. I can At see least, and, yeah. and Mark, you are correct, but Montreal, I mean, if Price doesn't work out, they do have a very tightly, very massive goalie pipeline that I have a Habs fan friend who's very excited about the prospects. Yeah, Caden Primo. Primo. Primo, Primo. And, yep. he's their guy. Primo is the next one. And I think he's going to be a really, really good goaltender for them. It's just a matter of when. When does he become the number one guy? I, I just – I don't think Price is the same goaltender. I really don't. 
So I once again, I'm going to echo Mark's statement here. If I could take Pittsburgh in one, I would. Um, but again, like you said, Carey Price is not the same goaltender as he was five, six, seven, eight years ago. Um, and I just think that the team in front of him, they're good, but not good enough to keep up with the likes of Crosby, Malkin, Gensel. You know, the the goaltending for Pittsburgh, whether it's Jari or Murray, I think are better either way. Um, I'm going to take the Penguins in three. Three? Okay. Montreal's going to bow out, and then they're going to go get Lafreniere. That's right. <laughs> you better um, believe there are Canadians fans who are rooting for that, too. They love yep, their I, yep, My oh, friend, who I just mentioned, he is rooting for them to lose. He's a local he kid. I, I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. So, uh, all right, Mark, you're on the spot here for uh, the 6-11 matchup, which is Carolina and the Rangers. Um, Carolina went four, uh, sorry, 0-4 against the Rangers this year, and they were the only team to vote against the what was the uh, proposal for this current playoff format that we're about to embark on um, during the regular season. You know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that I have a really strong take in this playoff matchup because there's a lot of open questions for both teams. There's no real, like, I don't see anything decisive about either team. So what I'll say is the profile of Carolina's team is that they're disciplined, they're smart, and they work hard. And a lot they outwork a lot of the teams they play. So that's going to help them come playoff time. Then you have the Rangers, where you have a lot of skill. They've definitely they've got better systems now under Quinn than they had previously. But I'm not sure if they've figured it out yet. Like, there's, they've made a lot of mistakes, especially in the game that was on a couple of nights ago. They made a lot of mistakes in that game, and they just did not look sharp at all. So, I, if given the option, I'm going to take Carolina solely because of their hockey IQ, physicality, and just in-game smarts. I'll take Carolina in five. Honestly, I don't – that series could go either way. I really think so. Um, I'll go next. I've, I, uh, again, this is – me and Mark must be thinking the same way. Uh, I got Carolina in five. I think that the fact that Carolina got to the Eastern Conference Finals last year, they pretty much brought back the same roster. They added Trocheck from Florida. That That's going to help. That's a little bit more. Uh, Brady Shea. Huh? They have Brady Shea and Sammy yeah. Gotten at headline, too. Yeah. Um, I, I like Carolina, you know, and I think that I think they'll they'll find a way to to get it out in five. I could see it going to overtime in game five. I hope it does. Give us a little more excitement. You know, give us you know, leave us on the edge of our seats, and it's a little more exciting for us to watch overtime playoff hockey when the Bruins are not involved. I think we can all agree on that. Um, I like Carolina in five. Um, I'll take uh, Carolina in four. New York, I mean, they were they were playing against defensive mastermind uh, trots. You know, he's known for shutting teams down. But the uh, the Rangers just look awful against the Islanders. I don't know what the deal was. Um, it's – I think Carolina, you know, they've shown they can get it done in the playoffs before. I think last year really helps them with experience. The, or the Rangers are relatively a young team. Um 
I don't have a ton of confidence in any of the three Rangers goalies, Shostik and Georgiev or Lundqvist, to be a massive tide turner for them. Uh, Carolina in four, but I don't think this will be – I don't think this series will be exciting at all. I think it's going to be a boring series. Connor. Well, I thought I was going maybe off the cuff a little bit taking Carolina because I feel like a lot of people have the Rangers upset in this series based off how the season's matchup uh, went. But I'm with I'm with Cameron here. I'm uh, I got Carolina in four games. I don't have them quite getting to five. I think um, Carolina's just a deeper team to me. I think you know nothing against Dave Quinn, but I think that Rob Brindamore and the system and the, the way he's operated things in Carolina has worked since he's gotten the head coaching role down there. I think it's, it's, you know, their, their goaltending, their goaltending is meh, but the Rangers is no better than them. So I think it comes down to, you know, will the win and, and, and depth up front and on the back end for, for both these teams. Yeah, they don't have the firepower, you know, the the stars like like the Rangers do. They have Benajad and Aaron and those guys. But I think just overall, I think Carolina is just a, a better team. I think you'll you'll see that come to fruition. Right? And I, yeah, Carolina in four games here, boys. You finally t- you finally picked Carolina, huh, Connor? Yeah, I learned my lesson last year. <laughs> Well, that only leaves one series left in the uh, qualifying round. It's the 7-10 matchup between the New York Islanders and uh, Florida Panthers. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, Florida got blanked uh, 5-0 by Tampa Bay. Uh, their goaltending was abysmal. Um, I don't see it getting much better. Um, there's not a whole lot of promise going on for the Florida Panthers right now. Yeah, they have coach uh, – their head coach is Joel Quenville. That gives them, you know – the compared to compared to trots you know it's it's three cups to one i still i i like the islanders and i like the islanders in four their offensive weapons barzell uh they got jg pageau with trade deadline that helps them out a lot bovillier i mean the names offensively for the islanders i think outweigh the names for the panthers a little bit uh more and i like the islanders in four I like the Islanders in four two. I mean, I mean, honestly, if I could go back and change my prop, change it actually. I'll say Islanders in three. Bobrovsky looks cooked. One year into this massive contract, he looks awful. I mean, the the, the book on Bobrovsky is obviously that he has decent regular seasons, good regular seasons, and then completely implodes in the playoffs. Not this year. He was bad all year, and they're signed up for what seven, eight more years worth of that. Like, I know he got paid and he doesn't really have to try anymore because he's got the money in the bag. But Florida looks awful. Their backup, Montembeau or whoever it's going to be, he's not going to make much of a difference if he has to come in and play. Florida just doesn't strike me as an expiring team. Uh, Islanders in three. I mean, what else can I say? It's true. I got uh, Islanders in three, Cameron. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, just how bad Florida looked. Bobrovsky, Cameron, you nailed it on the head. He was so bad in that game. In just all season, too. Like, it's not even yeah. like he had one bad game. He's just been mediocre all year. And the thing for me is 
just I don't like Barkov, Huberdo, Golachari. And, you know, I just don't think guys like Frank Vetrano and other guys like that are going to get it done. I mean, if they do, great. And that's going to be the difference. Um, but I honestly, I can think of two defensemen on Florida's team, like Keith Yandel and Aaron Eckblad, and that's it. So I, I just uh, I just don't think Florida is – yeah, like a Quenville as a coach who's who's battle tested and has, has won a couple cups, but at the end of the day, he had much better talent on those teams yeah, than what exactly. He had now. So I uh, yeah, I don't I don't I don't have Florida winning a damn game. Mark, I'm going to go against the grain a little bit, and mm-hmm. I think the one defenseman that you forgot in that discussion, Connor, was Michael Matheson, former BC pretty, Eagle. Yes, who right. Who is really legit? Um, you know, honestly. Bobrovsky has not been good all year. He hasn't been um, good enough, and he hasn't shown that he's going to be good in the playoffs either. However, I think the star power for Florida could be interesting if they get on a run and really show some confidence. If those young guys get confident and start scoring, it's going to be just like video game numbers, and they're going to put up a ton. But if they don't have confidence, they're going to get blown out. So – I would say that the Islanders are more battle-tested and they will probably do better in the playoff series. However, I've gone either chalk or I've gone, you know, fairly expected outcomes on everything else. I'm actually going to take Florida in this matchup and go a little bit out on a limb here. I'm going to say Florida in four. Whoa. All right. All right, Bolada. Now we're talking. I feel like, I feel like Bob Rofsky has something to prove and his best games have always been playoff games. There's nothing other than past history to kind of guide this thing. So I'm just going to completely go out on a limb and see what happens, even though they've been awful in recent weeks. You know what it is? I kind of was leaning towards that as well as we approach this this play-in series and these exhibition games. But just the way they played the other day, and I know they were playing against Tampa was really good. But just the way they were playing the other day was just, I don't know, it really put me off. and I, like, They just looked so bad. That I just, the, the one thing about Bobrovsky is, like, we all know how well he did against Tampa last season. You know, he did very well. But against Boston, there were some goals he gave up. Like, Johansson put a shot on that popped 10 feet in the air and went over the line. You know, he could have made a couple of saves on, like, Bergeron or Marchand that just he just couldn't get to. It's – He's very Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, and you don't know what you're going to get. And my, my knowledge with Bobrovsky's playoff tenure has just made me not believe. By the way – Hey, um, if he can prove me wrong. And by the way, quick subject change. Ian, did you happen to see that ESPN alert come, up, yep. come across? I just got it, yep. Uh, Rob Manfred has told the MLB Players Association that the MLB could shut down for 2020 if coronavirus is not managed better by the sport. That's his own damn fault. 111-page document of how to combat coronavirus, and we're already a week in, and stuff's hit the fan. Hold on a second, fellas. There you go. Yeah. Hey, doesn't happen, buddy. Let's 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 relax here. I know. But all right, fellas, let's let's quickly run through the uh, round robin, uh, and you know, just give our thoughts on who's finishing where in the East. Um, Just for those of you who don't know or aren't as familiar with the standings as they currently are. The Bruins sit at 
number one in the Eastern Conference with 100 points through 70 games. Tampa Bay, 92 points through 70 games. The Capitals and Flyers, both 69 games respectively. Uh, Washington in the third spot with 90 points, and Philadelphia one point behind them with 89. Um, I think the Bruins will go 2-1 and one here. I think they'll take care of uh, Philadelphia and Tampa, uh, and they'll hold on to the one seed, I think. Um, the Caps will go – Caps will go two and one. They'll get the two seed. Tampa will fall to the three, and Philadelphia will stay put in the four. Okay. Mark, we'll go to you. Okay. Um, I think the it's going to be interesting because we're going to see what Bruins the Bruins are really made of when we get into these round robin games. I actually feel like the Lightning may have a little bit of a boost here, especially considering how well they played recently. I'll put um, the Lightning as the top seed and the Bruins as the second seed solely because I feel like they're going to play better in the round-robin games. And Capitals 3, Flyers 4, I feel like the, the records are going to kind of be – they'll be pretty close because you're only playing three games, but I'll go Lightning, Bruins, Caps, Flyers. Cam. Washington, Lightning, Bruins, Flyers. Huh. Why? Okay. okay. I got uh, – I have Tampa, Washington, Bruins, Flyers. So me and Cameron get the top two flipped. But other than that, we agree here, Cameron. This is a weird episode. Philly this is a very I know. I don't like you guys have been agreeing with me a lot more. Stop. <laughs> well, okay. okay. Well, the fact is we haven't watched sports in so long, so I think we're all. I know. We got to do a quick. When sports are back, I'm sure everything will reset. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I just I don't know. I just, the way the Bruins came out, I don't think they're gonna beat a Washington or a Tampa. It's just the Bruins. It's just the teams we have to play. We've always struggled yeah. against Washington. What was it? Yeah, seven, 16 17. of seventeen losses. Yeah, I mean, and then neutral site. Tampa's Dude, a bad that team. is true. Neutral site, yeah. But oh, so, Mark, actually, I did think of this, and it's a it's a really strange stat. I talked about this on the show recently but the two so i've gone to see white christmas at boston opera house twice and the bruins have played on both of those nights on both of those nights they've scored seven or more goals and one one was against florida when benoit pouliot got his hat trick and the other was against wash when they played washington and beat them seven three this year so i gotta break into boston opera house and find a way to put on white christmas the entire playoffs and we'll roll we'll roll through <laughs> I mean, it, you've got plenty of opportunity because there's nobody in the city of Boston right now, so you should be yep. good. True. But, well. yeah, the, uh, the Bruins, their, their record, I also looked it up. They're 3-7 they're and seven against those three teams this season. So I think, I think one not exactly thing, the most inspiring numbers. I think one thing that maybe is a little beneficial for the Bruins' sake is they start off against the Flyers. That and is light, good. And the Lightning have to play the Caps first game out of the jump. Yep. Not that yep. Philly walk in the park, though. No, I know, but, you know. Of all the teams. The, Bru- the Bruins have, the last few years, the Bruins have seemed to kind of have their way yeah. with Philadelphia. They've had, a, they've had a little bit, they've had more consistency when it comes to picking up wins over Philly. So I think that's a little bit of a momentum boost. You know, if they come out Sunday, play well, pick up a win there, and you keep that going into game two against Tampa. Yep. Put up a shot up time. So, 
Well, all right. That's our Eastern Conference preview. Um, again, be sure to stay tuned to Titletown underscore takes on Twitter. Uh, and you can find us all on Twitter uh, at Ian Bow, at Connor Powell 8, at Cam Herbowitz 32. Mark, I'm sorry. What's your Twitter handle for the people M-Bilotta. out there? Yep, at M Okay. So if you like our picks, if you hate our picks, Feel free to message us on Twitter and let us hear it. We don't care. Bring it. We'll uh, we'll open it up. We're open for debate. Music, you know. But well, that's everything on the agenda. Uh, oh wait, no. There's there's one more thing. What are we doing, Ian? There's one, one more. There's one more thing. There's one more thing on the agenda. Thing, pal. And what the is that, Connor? Important thing. It's it's the bag of fun. The bag of fun, everybody. Everybody's ready for the bag of fun. Clearly not you, though, Ian. I was being sarcastic. I was oh, trying. I was trying to. Seventy-five percent of us. I was trying, to, us I was trying to play. I was trying to play it off here. Okay. All right. So, but yeah, I mean, bag of fun question. I came up with it today, so I guess I'll take All right. it. Here. It's time for the bag of fun. Bag of fun. Everybody's ready for the bag of fun question of the quarantine. Mr. Powell, what do we got? So, our bag of fun question of the quarantine, which we're we're very hopefully soon we can change the title back to question of the day or night or whatever whenever we're recording. But um, our bag of fun question is: since hockey is back, and we're all very big hockey fans here on this podcast, if we as we've said dozens of times before. You know, there's certain things you do to get ready for a game, whether it's a certain, you know, you're an actual player and you have a, you know, a ritual or a superstition or, you know, whether you're a fan, you have superstition, you eat a, a food, you, you, you dress the same way, whatever it is. Recently, music's been a big thing. What one song do you have to listen to to get you ready to watch playoff hockey game or just to get you pumped up for ooh, hockey ooh, ooh, ooh. pick me pick Ian, me go. you you want to you want to know what it is i sure do i mean you were very eager so i had you to wanna, pick them. okay okay well my song and connor this is this is credit credit to you, credit to you. hey and now it's playoff hockey time. Little Avicii for you. Little Avicii. I don't know. Since we started using this at, at Lawler for our pregame intros, it's just it, – I mean, it, it's always been a jam, but I don't know. The- it, just, it just gets the blood pumping, and it's something that, uh, that, get, that, gets, you, that gets me going personally before a game. Gets the Love people it. going. Gets right. the people going. Mark, well, what about you? What do you got? You were holding okay. out. You were holding out on us. We were I, talking I know, about I this know. off air. So we're wait, we've been waiting about an hour to let this one go. But here's the deal: if you know, I'm going to go a little bit older school on this one because you know, guys, I have to. I have to go old school, otherwise I wouldn't be worth this beard. But my <laughs> my take is I would go with Van Halen's "Eruption," the one Ooh. minute, one minute, twenty second car solo, and it is it is one of my favorite jams for pretty much any type of pump up. Regardless of sport, it would be my walkout song if I were a baseball player. Same thing if I'm getting jazzed for any type of sporting event. Eruption is just a fantastic way to kick off whatever it is you're doing. 
Love that. Love a good and band. also a quick plug for anybody who wants the backstory on how Eruption happened and got onto the album. There's a great book called Van Halen Rising, how a Southern California backyard party band saved heavy metal. And it is outstanding. I would highly recommend the, uh, the listeners of Title Town Takes. Give that baby a read. It is awesome. Love it. Cameron. Come on, Connor. There's only one answer. Well, what's what do you got? I mean, it, I mean, there's I mean, there's two. It depends on the day. Yep. It's going the distance, Rocky. Okay. Well, pick one. Is that your one? The, yeah. All right. You can, or 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 time to go, drop the Okay. Okay. Great what was the other one? Let's let's hear it. Out. No, no, you got to give yours because I don't want to take it. Well, I mean, because I have a couple too. Oh no! Come on now, you I, can only I pick one. To, I tend to take his. I tend to take Connor's the most. My number we're so one. much on the same wavelength. Yeah, my number one by far is Coach's by Audio Slave. Yes, that one. Okay. Wait, hold on. Did you guys enjoy my uh, my Snapchat SNL yesterday? Yeah. Love it. Did you enjoy mine? Yes. <laughs> that got me going. I was ready to run through a wall. I could awesome. barely hear you over the music. Bar. That's very yeah. true. Um, but, yeah, Coach East um, is, is by far the number one. But just a couple others I listened to. Show Me What You Got by Power, uh, Power Man, Power Man 5, 5000. Yeah. Is uh, really good. Um, Bulls on Parade is, is a good one. Oh, is, um, so in Beatles then, Yeah, there's one more. What is it, what is it called? Um, Oh, ready or not? The Bruins use that. Ready their, or not? Uh, the here I come. You can't yeah. hide. Yeah, Ooh, it's, it's, yeah that, that gets the blood going. That, that gets the right. hairs on the back of your neck standing up, too. Those are the couple that uh, I have to listen to before a Bruins game. Well, I guess we're going to have to start putting together a playlist here, fellas, with uh, with some tunes, and we can, share, we can share it with the people. We can get some, yeah. get some music like going idea. out there. Also, I'm super partial for intro songs like uh, "Streets" and "Fix You" and or how, they just how, get me pumped. How about "Stranglehold" by Ted Nugent? Oh, dude, that was awesome. Also, before before we hop off here, what do you guys think of the away team getting their goal horn when they score? I don't mind I like, it. I don't care. Not a fan. I'm fine. That would that right. would that would be something you pick nits with, Cameron. He's the road team. And I know there's no road teams, but the principle is there. Yeah, whatever. I, I don't I don't care. I, <laughs> the implication. I don't I don't find anything wrong with it, you know. Who cares? You know, you're playing in an empty arena, you're trying to engage fans at home, whatever they because here's the other thing here's the other side of that coin, right? If you didn't play it, how many fans would bitch and moan out there? Oh, why don't we get our goal horn even though because there's no fans? Why can't we have this? Why can't we have that? You're trying to make it equal all across the board because of this unique situation. Nope. It's 2020. The world sucks. Every day is worse than before, <laughs> and we're never getting out of it. I will, I, will leave you, I will leave you with this one fact, Cam. So when Merrimack was at the Garden playing in the Hockey's playoffs in 2011, um, and they were in the semifinals and the finals, Merrimack actually got their goal song played at the TD Garden every time they scored. And if you listen back on the video, you'll hear it. You'll hear our Chelsea Dagger. No way. Like, over yes. the loudspeakers? Over the loudspeakers. They played it every time Merrimack scored. It's kind of yep. cool. It's kind of cool. 
That's well, I mean, you think about it, right? Well, we other, didn't really have, well, we didn't really have a fight song back then. So yeah, because other <laughs> other te- other teams bring their band teams bring their bands or I don't think we had a band bands. then. Yeah, no, so, they did. They did. It was just small. It's still we had, small. We played Chelsea Dagger. Our band did when we played uh, Lowell and BC. Was it three years ago now? Two years. Two years ago. Yeah, we yep. we played BC with the band, um, not BC. We played Chelsea Dagger. The band figured out. How oh to play. no, no, it would be three years ago. Yeah, twenty seventeen. We're yeah. old, we're old, bro. Yeah. Well, all right, that'll do it here for us in episode thirty-five. Uh, once again, big thanks to Mark for uh, hopping on. Hope you had a fun time with us as uh, we did with you. Absolutely, gents. I want to do this again. This is a blast. Yeah, oh, yeah. it's great. You know, especially when we can talk some hockey. It's great and. Uh, be sure to stay tuned. Uh, start next week. We're back to two episodes a week. Um, so a lot more content coming out. We're going to have a lot more now that sports are back. You know, there's going to be plenty of, plenty of, plenty of, plenty of, plenty of stuff for us to talk about. Um, I can't wait to come back on next week and hear that the MLB's canceled uh, their <laughs> season. Um, so, you know, I'm looking forward to that. But once again, big thanks to Mark Bellotta from the Neutral Zone. Uh, for my co-host Cameron Erbowitz and Connor Powell, and the wise words of Connor Powell, there are three things in life that he knows to be true: liquor before beer, you're in the clear; two, the mitochondria are the powerhouse of the cell; and three, box on net, go, go bees, lights out. Good night. <laughs>